At this point, I'd like to direct your attention to Paul's letter to the Philippians. We're going to pick up our uh, study and meditation uh, on Paul's letter to the Philippians. Chapter 2 is where we are, and in just a few moments, we're going to read that. Um, our, our, our prayer and our delight this morning as we've sung is uh, that the Holy presence of Christ would be known by us in our hearts. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory, and it is his powerful word that transforms us. It's for this reason that we give our attention to the word in this way on uh, such a regular basis. <clears throat> Let me just remind you, uh, before we come to the particular passage before us today, uh, some of the things that we've been looking at, that uh, firstly, Paul is in prison. He's in adverse circumstances, those kinds of circumstances that would uh, put anyone back on their heels. Uh, but uh, Paul, and he's in prison for the specific reason that he is announcing the good news of Jesus Christ, that he is king, Lord of heaven and Lord of earth. And where we might expect that Paul is uh, in a dejected state because of his circumstances, we find that he rather is full of joy, uh, joy that uh, he just cannot repress uh, because he has discovered that God is faithful in the midst of it all and his imprisonment actually by the power of God has served to advance the gospel. And he sees it this way. He sees that the believers now, even those in Rome, where very likely he's in prison, uh, also preach the gospel more boldly because of Paul's experience as they look on from outside. And Paul is showing absolutely no fear. Fearless man in the place uh, where he is, though all of the uh, human powers are ranged against him. Uh, and he desires that Christ would be exalted in his body, he says, whether by life or by death. This is a man fully committed to the glory of Jesus Christ. He says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And of course, our attitude should be the same. Our Christ is the same. The redemption that has come to us is the same. And so our attitude should be the same. So Paul says he would prefer to die, that would be his preference, to die to, uh, for the Lord and be with him forever, but he denies his own preference and chooses rather, if God would permit, to remain alive for the sake of the believers, for the sake of the fellowship. He's concerned for them just as Jesus was concerned for them in a foremost way. And in this way, Paul's conduct is worthy of the gospel. And then Paul turns to the conduct of the Philippian believers themselves, and he asks them that they would own two very strange things in their lives, that they would own the sufferings of Christ, and that they would own the humility of Christ, and by that enter into the fullness of fellowship with Christ, just as Paul himself was doing. Powerful lessons uh, for us to reflect on in, in a, a deep and transforming way. We're going to move on to uh, chapter 2, verse 12. I'm going to read that in just a moment. And you'll notice when I say that, that we're skipping a significant portion, Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Well, it's a very central portion. We're actually going to give it a special place of consideration as we get closer to Easter. Uh, this is a, a passage that just fits so well with our reflections at Easter time. Uh, so we'll, we'll come back to it, trust me. But for now, we're going to assume it and move on to verse 12. So allow me to read for you from Philippians 2, uh, and beginning at verse 12. The word of the Lord. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, 
Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too be glad and rejoice with me. It's another wonderful passage, uh, Paul speaking about what's, what is in his heart because of the love of Christ. I have a question to ask you this morning as we get underway, and the question is this, is there, is there anyone here who needs change in your life? Sorry. I see, I see. Okay, so hear me. Put up your hand. Is there anyone, is there anyone here who needs change in your life? Okay, we're getting there. Um, listen, put up your neighbor's hand. Would you just put, put up your hand for your neighbor? Is there anyone who needs change? And because, yes, there we go. Because we all do. <clears throat> As a pastor, actually, I often hear people say, Jesus has changed my life. My life is different. As a pastor, I see that in people's lives, how, how a, a life is really quite different from what it used to be. So how does Christ change our lives? How does he make us to be different? You know, he, does he open up a little flap behind your ear and plug in a cable and, and then do a little bit of reprogramming, new coding, and, and then you're the new person? Or does he kind of mix up a, a cocktail of medications and then say, here, drink this, and you're going to be a different person? No, those are not his approaches. He has a very specific approach as to how he changes us. A lot of people, I believe, are confused about how God changes us. Some people say, well, all you need to do is just wait on the Lord. It's it, just, just, just wait on the Lord. That's a passive approach. And there are others who say, you know, if it's going to be, it's up to me. I need to step forward. God helps those who help themselves, so to speak. And so it's my, it's my active engagement. It's kind of an activist approach. What should I do in order to grow? Is it all up to me? Is, is it all up to God? Is there some middle point in between? How does this work? Well, interestingly, Paul deals with this very issue. And he says very plainly, um, you know, it, it, when it comes to your spiritual growth, Paul says without question, without doubt, it is all up to God. It is God who does this. And Paul says, without question, without doubt, he affirms it, you know, unequivocally, it is all up to you. It makes you make the difference. And that's not a contradiction. Paul, Paul is not doubling back on what he's saying. He's actually saying this is right. When you have both a divine actor, God himself, who acts in his way, he acts in God's way, and you have the human actor, we ourselves, who act in our way, there is no contradiction. There's the greatest of harmony. 
Both actions converge on the same point uh, and without either being undermined or compromised. That's Paul's view of how God works in our lives. He uses these two phrases back to back to explain the reality. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's on us. But then he says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. That is God. Both working at the same time. Notice, notice what it says here. Uh, it says work out and then work in. Work out, that's our part. And working in, that's God's part. We're to work out what God is working in to us. So let me be clear about this. The, the, the Bible, and Paul is not saying work for your salvation. Kind of do what you can in order that you can impress God. That's not what he's saying at all. In fact, we're told that all of our righteousness is, uh, is uh, inadequate before God. We've all fallen short of the standard that God has set. It's not by works so that no one can boast. These people in Philippi are Christians that Paul is writing to, and he's telling them, you have now received by faith the gift of God's grace. Now work it out. Develop what you have. Work out the implications. You're born again, so start growing as one who has new life. What do you do when you, when you plant a garden? You know, you prepare the soil. You plant the seed, you cultivate it, and you, you watch it grow. You, you don't go to your lab and, uh, you know, pull out a little bit of carbon and pull out some, some other elements and then mix them together in your, uh, in your lab and try to create new life. You work with the seed that already has the life in it. It already has the DNA in it. Or like when you raise a child... You know, there's a part that is yours, very much your part. You do a lot of nurturing. You do a lot of pouring in. It's probably the most difficult thing you do in your life. But then there's the part that is not yours. And it happens quite apart from you. <clears throat> the child grows and learns and matures. And who that child is comes into its full flourishing. And much of it, <clears throat> you just have to stand back and watch. It's not something we work for, but something we work out. Work out the glorious life that Christ has placed in you. He says, work out your salvation. That's your part. It's, and and uh, I want you to notice here, the word your is plural. It, it's, uh, it's for all of us. <clears throat> no one gets off the hook. Each one of us has to accept the personal responsibility that God has given us for our growth. And we each have a responsibility for the rest as well. We don't do this in isolation. He's talking to the believers as the body of believers. You together work out your salvation together, your collective salvation. God doesn't see us as, uh, as separated islands. He wants us to work out the implications in our lives individually and as the body of Christ, taking responsibility for ourselves and for one another. And then he says we are to do this with a particular character. We're to do it with fear and trembling, not to be afraid of God. It's God's good purposes that are being worked out here. But we need to revere the work of God. We need to revere the, 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 you know, the indescribable nature of God's work amongst us and the, the perfection of God's purposes. It is a serious issue. It's a life and death issue. And we approach it with great, great seriousness. There's nothing more important 
than our spiritual growth as we come to be like Christ. And so we need to take it seriously. Work it out with fear and trembling. And then he says, for it is God who works in you. This is God's part. It's, uh, th this word works, <laughs> you've probably heard something like this before. This word works, it's from the Greek word energeia, and we get our word energy from that Greek word. God is the energy. God is the power for change in our lives. <clears throat> God supplies the force that enables you to become like Christ, for, to will and to act to be like him. He's the one who gives us the ability. He's the one who gives us the desire, transforms our loves so that we would love what he loves and gives us the capability to change. Now, I want to ask a very practical question this morning. How, do, how does God do this? How does God bring about this change in our lives? And then how do we respond doing our part to those things that God does? And so let me lay it out this way. Uh, I, I, I want to talk about four methods that God uses Four tools that God uses to bring change in our lives. And then we'll talk about responses, choices that we can make in order to respond to these things God is doing in our lives. So firstly, how God changes me. How God changes me. And, and as we've said, God works it in. God works it into me. And uh, of these methods that God uses, the first is the scriptures. Just what is our focus this morning? Um, Paul says uh, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God gives us the precious gift of his word for this. The Bible changes us. The Bible changes our thinking. The Bible changes our understanding. If you really want to get serious about change, the way God calls us to change, we have to give ourselves to the, the hearing of Scripture, the hearing of God's Word. Read it, study it, memorize it, meditate on it, live it out in your life, let it direct you. The more you get into the Word of God in your life, the more you're going to see the kind of change that God desires to work in you. If you heard people say, well, I, I don't have any faith, I, 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 I can't believe I don't have any faith. And you ask the question, well, are you reading the Bible? And their answer is, well, no, I, I'm not reading the Bible. So well, what, what do you expect? If you're not listening to what God says, how are you going to respond in faith? It's actually the hearing of the word. The Bible itself says this. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's as we hear it that our faith grows. It's as we hear it that we're transformed. God uses the scriptures. Here's another tool that God uses. The Holy Spirit. God himself, the Spirit. Um, God puts his Spirit within us. This is where the power comes to change. Uh, Romans 8, Paul says in, in that place, Romans 8, 5, and 6, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh, listen to this, is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. There's a difference. There's the transformation. God will bring power into our lives. The, the, the Spirit of God himself, he, he, um, he, he comes and enables us, moves us forward. God's number one purpose in our lives is not to make us happy, but to make us obedient to Christ, to conform us 
to the image of Christ. That's his ultimate goal. That's what he gives us his spirit for. God's ideal is to tell us how to change through his word and then to give us power to to renew our spirits by his own spirit so we read his word and we're empowered to follow it through. Two methods that God uses. There's a third method. Third method is um, the body of Christ. God works through the body of Christ. The key aspect of actually of our own salvation is to live in love and unity with our brothers and sisters. This is part of what it is to be redeemed. We live with our brothers and sisters in love in the body of Christ. We've been delivered not just individually, but together, corporately. Here's a a verse that speaks to this. Colossians 3 and verse 16 says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. There are many scriptures that speak about how we're, we're made as members of one body. Each of us have our place. We all belong. Each one of us is important. Each one of us has been given a gift for the, uh, for the sake of edifying the body as a whole. We belong together. The body of Christ is actually one of the methods that God uses to cause us to grow and to be transformed, to be like Christ. And so we need to give ourselves to the, the, uh, to the fellowship of the body of Christ. Here's another one that I want to bring to your attention. The fourth method that God uses, circumstances. God uses the circumstances in our lives. Problems and pressures and the, uh, you know, the headaches, the hurdles that you have to get past, difficulties, the stress that comes into your lives, these are things God is aware of and, and that God knows. In fact, we, we were reading from 1 Peter this morning about our, our glorious hope, uh, the new life that is given us in Christ. In that same context, Peter writes this, verses 6 and 7 of chapter 1. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, <clears throat> though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come. There's a purpose. God's purpose. These have come. So that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter is affirming to us that what God allows into our lives, God is using to bring about the transformation he desires. There's nothing that could come into the life of a believer that God is unaware of or God has not granted permission for, that God doesn't have purpose in. He doesn't say that all of these things are good things in and of themselves, but God will use them for good in order that we might be made like Christ. This is the divine pattern, the pattern of God's sovereign superintending of our lives and our history. Sometimes we're tempted to ask, where do my problems come from, you know, and try to assign uh, the blame. Do they come from me or have they come from an attack from the, uh, from the, from the enemy, the forces of darkness? Have these come from, from God? In, in the, you know, in the end, what we, need, what we need to know is that God is making use of these things. God can make use of them to, uh, to transform us. All things can serve God's pattern of making us, uh, making us like Christ. If God is going to make us like Christ, he's going to take us through some circumstances that we probably would not choose for ourselves. Think of 
Think of the Lord himself. He went through seasons in life. Jesus experienced loneliness. Jesus experienced excruciating temptation. There were times when Jesus, uh, you know, was uh, discouraged by his disciples' response or the response of the people. There were times when Jesus uh, was angry. There was time when Jesus was tempted to blow up or become impatient. God allowed Jesus to work through those things. I mean, it, it really was the Father who allowed Christ, even brought Christ into these things. Do you think he's going to spare us from a similar kind of journey? God is more interested in our character than our comfort. If we're going to pursue God, we need to, be, we need to share the same interest, character over comfort. The author to the Hebrews, uh, chapter 5, verse 8, says this, Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. So if that's true, how do you think we're going to learn obedience? God has a way. Hebrews 2 and 10 says, Jesus was made perfect through what he suffered. Perfect in the sense of being made complete. He comes to his fullness through what he suffered. So how are we going to be made complete? How are we going to come into the full image of Christ? God uses these kinds of circumstances. He works through his word. He works through his spirit. He works through the body of Christ that God has placed us into. He also works through these circumstances. So scripture tells us that we are to be humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord. But what if we're resistant? What is God going to do? Well, he brings circumstances that, that bring the proud down. He humbles the proud. And he's the one who lifts up the humble. God will bring us into circumstances that will attack our pride. God is interested in shaping our character. I like what Proverbs 20 and verse 30 says. It says it in a very interesting way. It says, blows and wounds scrub away evil, and beatings purge the inmost being. Blows and wounds scrub away evil, and beatings purge the inmost being. Now, don't hear that as, you know, some kind of brute force or some kind of unloving activity. God is the one who is at work purging uh, the world of evil and purging our lives of evil. God brings things into our lives in order that we might be changed. I think when we're honest, we will admit that we rarely change, like seriously, deeply change until we're desperate for that change. We don't change too often when we see the light, but we feel the, or we change when we feel the heat, someone has said. A lot of truth there. God, you know, brings us close to the fire in order that we might get moving. Often we'll put up with things we know we should not put up with, even within ourselves. We don't change until things become uncomfortable, and God uses those circumstances. We have to look for God's guidance through those circumstances. So God uses these tools. This is how God changes us, how he works the character of Christ in us. Now we ask the question, well, how, how do I change me? How, did, how does it get worked out? Well, that's, that's the, the response that we have. I, I make choices to work out what God has worked within me. So here's the first one. <clears throat> I can choose what I think about. I, I can choose how I, how I inform my mind and my understanding. Growth is not automatic. 
It doesn't just come passively. It's not something that, that just kind of seeps into us. Change is a matter of choice. I choose to be different because I understand things differently. Proverbs 4 and 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. That's, a, that's, that's with reference to our understanding, how we see things, the light that, uh, that illumines the things in our lives. One author put it this way, <clears throat> you aren't what you think you are. Let's start there. You are not what you think you are, but what you think you are. Good truth. So how, how, you, how you see things, how you perceive them is, uh, shapes uh, your, your practice. Your thoughts don't just direct your life, they are your life. And if we could see on a, on a giant screen what you're thinking about, we very likely have great insight into what's going on in your heart and in your practice. It has to change in our understanding. This is why Paul writes in Romans 12 too, a verse that's very familiar to us, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. That our minds would be made new in the word. Then you will be able to test and to prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we choose what we think about. Change always begins with a new understanding, new thinking. Uh, the biblical word for this is repentance, right? This is what, uh, what Scripture says. Our, our minds, this is the, from the Greek word that speaks about thinking, um, uh, our, our thinking changes. We, we turn from one um, uh, understanding to a new understanding. When I repented, I changed in my understanding. I changed the way I thought about God. I changed the way I thought about myself. Uh, I, I was changing the way I thought about the world and others. My whole understanding changes. God's word informs it. I choose to follow the, the instruction of God's word. If you want to change, <clears throat> you need to start with the renewing of your mind. Start with the understanding. You begin by thinking God's words, thinking God's thoughts after God. So if you're not having that kind of exposure to God's word, if you're not having, uh, you know, your, your personal private time with God, learning from his word, reading scripture, meditating upon it, digesting it into your spirit, then you're not going to see this kind of change in life. God has given us this method that we might be changed. Here's another choice that we can make. <clears throat> I can choose to rely on the spirit of God. <clears throat> I can make the choice to... to Live by the spirit that God has given. This is where the power comes. Uh, John 15, 4 and 5 says this. Jesus' words, his promise to us, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's a great image that Jesus gives us here. How can we, how can we miss the truth of this? A branch is totally dependent upon the vine. When it's cut off from the vine, it's not going to bear gra uh, grapes or whatever the fruit might be, might be. A branch cannot produce fruit by itself. <clears throat> So it has to be connected, has to be, has to be drawing its nourishment from the vine. 
And Jesus is saying that's the way we have to be with God. We, we, we draw from the Spirit of God. We have to be plugged in. God is the, the life source, the power source. <clears throat> but it's not automatic. There is a, there's a participation we have in this. We choose to rely on the Spirit. The fruit that God desires, the fruit that, uh, that brings glory to God is, is something that begins from the inside and then works its way out. So what would happen if I were to, you know, if I went and got a dead grapevine and I just, you know, I had it with me, but then when it came to harvest time, I went and took a bunch of grapes and tied it to this uh, dead grapevine. Uh, as though somehow I were trying to suggest I'm, I'm bearing fruit. Well, th that just... It just doesn't work. It's not at all what, uh, what the vine is supposed to do. This is not what life is. But there are some who kind of practice their spiritual lives that way. Uh, they think, that you know, I've got to uh, kind of produce some sort of fruit, and uh, it's not really coming from the life of Christ. It's just something that I'm going to do and add it to what I think God wants. <clears throat> we need to live in the power of the Spirit. Paul is, Paul is speaking about this in so many places. Galatians 5 is one of the, one of the high points. Uh, Galatians 5, 16, he says, So walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. And then a few verses later, 23 and 20, uh, 22 and 23, many, a verse that many have memorized, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then Paul comes back again, verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. How do you know when you're living by God's Spirit? How do you know when you're relying on God's Spirit? Well, there are many evidences. I would say one of them, just have a look at your prayer life. Are you, are you eager for the presence of God? Are you eager to be with him? <clears throat> and when you pray, are you depending on God to, to act? You're depending on God to, uh, to intervene and, and to do his great work. Whatever you, uh, whenever you don't pray, or whatever what you don't pray for, you're not really depending on God for. Prayer is a, an evidence of depending upon God. That's why the scriptures call us to pray continually. It's, it's a regular part of our lives. Our decisions, our feelings, our relationships, the deadlines that we're facing, uh, the way you handle your money, the purchases that you're making, all of these things, how, you are, how you're having influence in the lives of those around you, we evidence that, it's this, that we're relying on the Spirit of God when we turn to prayer to see God's will performed here. Here's another choice that we can make, uh, the choice to walk with others. I can choose to walk with others and respond to the work that God is doing in me. 1 John 4, 11, 12 says this, <clears throat> Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, and this is great, if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. It's the choice to walk together. This is, this is something that I believe God is calling us to in a, in a deeper way. I do believe there's a spirit of love in this church, and I believe that uh, God, is, God is really evident in the love that is expressed uh, in, in this congregation. But I do believe God is calling us to even higher heights. It's one of the reasons why we place such a heavy emphasis on doing life together. 
Uh, we need one another. We just need one another for growth and wholeness. And if you find yourself pulling away, it's often because um, you're resisting the, 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 uh, the, the work that God is doing through the body to bring growth in your life. It's one of the reasons that we give such attention to life groups uh, and why, why we consider this to be such an important part of life here. Life groups are who we are as a church. Hebrews 10 says, uh, says this, uh, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. I believe that has application for our Sunday morning time. We ought to be together here under the, uh, under the instruction of the Word of God, in the fellowship of one another, together lifting one voice of praise to God. I think that's very important in our witness, uh, uh, in the witness of our love and worship of God to our community and to one another. We're strengthened by it. But this is not the only time that we meet together in order to grow and um, uh, to, you know, to uh, encourage one another. And I think when the big group breaks down into smaller groups, when we have the opportunity to really reach into one another's lives and help one another, know one another, that's, that's part of what it is to be together as the body of Christ. There was a group of uh, our elected leaders, our, our church leaders, 35 to 40 of them gathered yesterday morning. And this was one of the important things about the life of our church that we were discussing how we need to be together in life groups like this. So Paul says again, Romans 14 and 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. That's what it is to, to get close to one another. Make these efforts. One last way I want to suggest to you that we can respond to what God is doing in us as we work out what he's working in. Uh, and it's this, I can choose how I respond to my circumstances. I have no doubt that we go through very trying circumstances. Some circumstances that you pass through that I just don't have the capacity to understand or to empathize with the way they need to. But we can choose in every case how we're going to respond to our circumstances. God, gives, God brings his resources into our lives and God, uh, God superintends our lives. He brings the resource of his word to help us through. He brings the resource of his spirit so that we can depend on him. He brings the resource of the body of Christ, and we can choose to embrace it. God also uses circumstances, and we can choose how we respond to those circumstances in faith. So hear this. James 1, 2 to 4 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance then finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This reflects James's attitude toward trials, temptations, and struggles. Receive it. Receive it with joy because you know God is at work. We can choose how we respond. Just consider for a moment that word produces here. <clears throat> produces is, is a present term, meaning it's, it's something that's happening, but it's ongoing. The Christian life is not just a, a one-time event. It's not, uh, you know, that we're zapped and then it's over. It's a series of events followed by a chain of results that leads to a life of perseverance and character and hope. It's through repentance and faith in Christ that we've been born anew. But then it's, we've got to grow. We've got to develop. Uh, we've got to 
bring to maturity the salvation that we have been given. James is saying that we can choose our response to circumstances. In my own life group on, on Friday night, we were discussing this, and it, it was just a, a renewal of our own joy when we were able to say, we know that joy is not something that comes as a result of the circumstances. Joy comes as a result of knowing our God in the midst of whatever the circumstances are. That, that God is faithful and that, that, that we have the glory of God's presence in, in whatever the circumstance. Viktor Frankl was a famous psychologist who was imprisoned in one of the concentration camps in World War II. Became very famous in his, um, you know, in his reflection on these things. He was recalling how that they had stripped him naked. They took away everything. They took his clothes, his shoes. They took his family. They even took his wedding ring. They took everything. And that, that can be so, so devastating. But he said, when, when they had taken away everything that was within their power to take away, and uh, he and his um, companions were standing there in front of the Nazi soldiers, he realized one thing. He realized that they could, one thing that could never be taken away from him. And that was his choice about how he was going to respond to these circumstances. They, his, his dignity, his, his inner person, his, his integrity as a person, they could not take that away. And for him, that was ultimate freedom. They cannot take away our relationship with God. They cannot take away uh, um, the, the glory of the presence of God in our circumstances. You can't choose what's going to happen to you later this year or next year, even next month or next week, or in the moments following this service. You can't choose what's going to happen to you. But you can choose how you're going to respond. You can choose how you're going to react, <clears throat> and whether it's going to be in obedience to God such that you're, you are conformed more into the image of Christ, or whether you're going to rebel and run. We achieve the unity, that God, the unity and maturity that God calls us to as we respond in the Christ-like way. <clears throat> what really matters in life is not what happens to you. What matters in you is what matters most. <clears throat> That's the choice. Many of you have seen people just uh, respond with a, an incredible grace, just a, a, a beauty and a you know, something that just causes such admiration because they know God is with them and they're passing through difficult things. It produces a beautiful character. <clears throat> what do you want to change about your life? Are you ready for change? What do you want to change most? <clears throat> the power for change comes from God's power and from our choices. God is working it in, and we are to work it out. I find it just, just uh, so compelling that Paul, in the midst of his circumstances, is so concerned for the people, uh, the, the Philippians, that they would uh, see the same power of Christ in them as he's experiencing in his own life. That they would respond uh, to the instruments of God in their lives to bring change, to conform to Christ. Well, may we take the lesson and bring it home into our own lives. Respond with the choices that God has called us to make and with confidence that God is at work in us. I'm going to invite you to bow together with me as we pray and uh, we'll have our, our worship team come and lead us as we give worshipful response 
to God's work in our lives. Let's pray together. And Father, we know that, uh, well, Lord, we are, we are delighted with the knowledge that you want to change us, that you want to make us like Jesus. And Father, we, we confess to you that we often are, are resistant, we often are fearful, and we find ourselves so frequently running the other way. But we acknowledge to you we're tired of that. We acknowledge to you that we want all that you have, all that you desire for us. So, Father, in the, in the power of your spirit, through your word, together with our brothers and sisters, and by the, by the means that you use in the circumstances around us, lead us, uh, change us to be the people you would have us be. And, Lord, we say yes to you. We choose what you have chosen for us. Have your perfect way. Cause us to be uh, the people who, who, who just resonate with tremendous joy because of what we see God doing in us. We delight in you. Be magnified, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.